The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. I want to read a portion of scripture and then in the time remaining address what I think is a great lesson for us, a great view of Jesus that shows us practical compassion as well as a hard truth and how the disciples navigated that. Remember what we've been talking about this semester is uh, this idea that we follow Jesus Christ and the one we follow, we're looking at this semester through the lens of his disciples. As we see these interactions in the gospel, we've looked at a couple last time, we looked at Jesus in the boat during the storm. Today I want to look at Jesus feeding the multitudes through the eyes of the disciples as well. I'd like to read from Mark chapter 8, the first 10 verses, and then make some comments. Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. This is one account of the feeding of one multitude. The Gospels record for us the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. And the accounts of the feeding of the multitudes have the stuff of real drama, don't they? You have crowds, you have unbelief, you have miraculous provision, you have physical evidence in the leftovers, you have faith kindled. But there's more to this than that. These accounts show us Jesus. In a very powerful and profound way, they show us Jesus. In this particular account, uh, we see Jesus feeding the 4,000. We have recorded for us uh, an interaction between Jesus and the disciples that provides some context for this. And I think it's worth exploring as we think about the one we follow. If we're looking to learn more about Jesus, which is what we've been saying, we actually have to know the one we follow, not just know about him, but know him if we're going to believe in him and follow him. This is why John wrote down the things that he wrote down, that we might have faith. And when we look through the eyes of the disciples, we can put ourselves in their shoes. Like the last time when we looked at Jesus in the boat, this terrible storm comes up and they think they're going to die. And they see Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat. And their reaction is a powerful one. And Jesus' interaction with them is a powerful one. And there's a lesson to be learned for you and I as we follow Jesus when it comes to the way he looks at life and circumstances and the way he cares for us and the power that he has. And in this account as well, we have a good view of Jesus and his view of the crowds that were following him. 
in the biblical accounts of the miracle of Jesus feeding the crowds, we do see Jesus. And we see one thing very clearly, that he sees people. And the disciples saw that firsthand. So how could that not challenge them to open their own eyes? Look at what Mark records for us here. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered, and as I've been saying all along, the crowd in the Gospels is actually a character of sorts. It's always showing up around Jesus as he is traveling through the region and carrying out these miracles. Word is spreading and there are huge crowds that begin to follow him. And this crowd has been gathered for a period of time and they had nothing to eat. And Jesus calls his disciples and it looked at, he looked out on the crowd and said, I have compassion on them. He didn't just see, though, that a crowd was following. Jesus looked out at this crowd that was following and didn't just see it as one, either a nuisance or two, an opportunity. When Jesus looked out on the crowd, he saw people with needs. We should write that down. We should think about that. The one we follow sees, but doesn't just see the, the obvious on the surface. Jesus doesn't just look out and see thousands of people gathered together there, a crowd that was either there to be a nuisance to him or something that he could exploit for gain. When Jesus looks out, he sees them and he's very aware that they're human beings with a very real human need. So Jesus sees is something that the disciples would have thought. I can imagine they're there and they're, they're gathered around and Jesus says, look, look, there's a great crowd here and I'm concerned about them. Yeah, Jesus, there's always a crowd. No, no, look, Jesus is actually putting an exclamation point on this. When the disciples might think to themselves, well, there's always a crowd. Jesus saying, doesn't say, yeah, there's always a crowd. Jesus says, yeah, but this crowd's hungry. This crowd has a need. This crowd isn't just a, a mob. This is a gathering of human beings made in the image of God. And they have a need. In fact, what Mark records for us, I believe, at Peter's telling, is that Jesus looked out and had compassion on the crowd because they'd been with him for three days and have had nothing to eat. And then what does he say? If I send them away hungry to their homes, look, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. Jesus doesn't say to his disciples what you and I might expect him to say. Look, there's a great crowd here, guys. Look at the crowd. And some of them are hungry. They've been with us for three days. If we send them back to their homes now, think of the stories they're going to tell about Jesus' ministry. He doesn't say if we send them home now, they're going to fill out complaint cards. If we send them home now, they're going to speak ill of us. If we send them home now, they're going to actually tell their friends, don't follow that guy Jesus, you'll just go home hungry. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says if we send them home now, they'll faint along the way. What you have to see is that Jesus is doing something really significant here for his disciples. He isn't just showing them that he sees. There's more going on than that. Jesus isn't pulling a stunt. The feeding of the multitude isn't a marketing ploy or a ministry growth strategy or technique. It's the simple meeting of the most basic human need. And he does it because he cares and because he can. So when Jesus looks out, he isn't looking at something that could be exploited. He isn't saying, wow, you know what, guys, you're, 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 you're missing the point here. We've already fed one multitude. If we feed this one, that's a double punch. The word will spread that we can actually feed crowds and the crowds will gather. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Mark records it with great specificity. I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and haven't had anything to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint. And some of them have come very far. Here's Jesus' true 
compassion, with a practical reality. We must meet their need. They are hungry, and if we send them away, they will faint. Isn't it interesting that Jesus not only sees the crowd and sees them as individuals with needs made in his likeness and image, he also knows the human struggle. He knows that he's not disconnected from it. This is Jesus who did 40 days in the wilderness without food. 40 days is not three days. Some of you are intermittently fasting. You're going a few hours a day with no food. Congratulations. That's not three days. That's not 40 days. Some of you have gone a couple days without food. Great. That's not three. That's not 40. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. He knew what real hunger was. He looked out and had compassion on these folks who were going hungry and hadn't eaten anything and had been with him for three days. He doesn't just see. He knows. And hopefully the disciples would catch this lesson so that when they looked out, they would see the same thing. That's what Jesus wants his servants and followers to do, to see what he sees to feel what he feels, to care about what he cares about. And it's a very powerful thing here that Jesus does. How could this not challenge the disciples to open their eyes? But it's very interesting what happens here. Jesus feeds them. He feeds them, and just like the other feeding of the multitude, there are leftovers. There's evidence that this happened. It's, it's miraculous in every sense of the word. John's gospel provides for us the account of the previous feed, the feeding of the 5,000. Same thing. Jesus has compassion. He cares and can meet the need, and so he does. You and I should look at Jesus as the one who meets our needs, the one who sees and the one who cares. Listen, if you're struggling with something and you feel like no one sees, Jesus does. If you're struggling with something and you feel like no one cares, Jesus does. If you're struggling with something and you say, no one sees, no one cares, and no one can do anything about it, Jesus can. We should be clinging to that. But remember that Jesus is taking care of this physical need, but he cares about something far greater. And in John's gospel, in the account of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus follows this miracle with a very very powerful teaching that he is the bread of life and the one who eats of him will never go hungry. The issue is here that Jesus is actually gives this teaching after John's account of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 where he begins to say, you must realize this is temporal bread. This is earthly bread. It will satisfy you now. It will meet the need that you have now, but it will not fulfill that most basic need that you have, which is the which is only filled by me. You will hunger for the rest of your life apart from the bread of life. It's very interesting how this rolls on because Jesus then goes on to talk about his being the bread of life and everybody began to wonder about this teaching. The Jewish leaders were upset about it. The crowds were wondering what he was actually getting at. His disciples were wrestling with this same thing because we'd been down this path before, right? When Jesus talks about something in the real world, in the temporal world, and makes a spiritual connection. This is what threw Nicodemus off. When Jesus said, you must be born again, Nicodemus' question wasn't, oh yeah, I get that. How do I get born again? Nicodemus looked at Jesus and said, are you crazy? A man can't enter his mother's womb a second time. Because Nicodemus failed to see that Jesus was talking about something of greater significance than his first birth. His second birth into the kingdom of God. 
And so what happens here is Jesus is doing the same thing. I can meet this need. We can fill your belly. We can give you bread. But friends, that's not what you really need. What you really need is the bread of life. Now this has serious implications because what Jesus goes on to talk about here as people were questioning him following that miracle in John's gospel, Jesus begins to speak a very hard truth. In chapter 6 of John's gospel, beginning at verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And then look, verse 60 of John's Gospel, chapter 6. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? In the immediate context of Jesus feeding the multitude, he delivers this teaching that he's the bread of life. And up until the part where he says, no, no, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're to have any part with me, everybody thought it was a nice teaching. Once he actually starts talking about the gospel, that you must eat his flesh and drink his blood, you must accept his atoning sacrifice, which means you admit to your sin, you repent of it, you place faith in Jesus and his work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. Unless you do that, you have no part of this bread. And look what the students said. It's hard. It's a hard saying. Who can listen to it? In fact, in verse 66, it says this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Following John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus delivers a hard saying. His followers are to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And after this, the Bible says, many turned back. Hard truth too often has that effect. What's the lesson in this? Well, look, when we look at the feeding of the multitude, there's, great, there's a great thing to learn about the one we follow. He sees and he cares and he can meet those needs. But we shouldn't lose, light of the fact that, that, lose sight of the fact that Jesus wants something more for you than that temporal satisfaction. He wants you to eat the bread of life and to abide in him that he may abide in you. I think there's a very simple way to look at it, and it's this. Because I think we struggle with it all the time. We look at these miracles just like the people who were on the outside of the disciples' ring wanting, wanting to be a part of those miracles, wanting to be healed or to see a healing, wanting to be fed or to see a miracle of people being fed. But listen, here it is. There's a big difference between wanting something from Jesus and wanting Jesus. He is the one we follow. and He's the one we should want. He's the only bread that truly satisfies. And that's the one we follow. And that's what these disciples saw firsthand. That what Jesus wants is us to want him above all else. And he will give that because he sees and knows. He cares. And not only can he give you that, He already has. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do indeed thank you for...
the time that we have together these days to look into your word. We thank you for the way your spirit uses it to accomplish your work. We pray this morning as we think about the practical compassion of our Lord Jesus and the hard truths that he delivered, that you might give us grace to see our Lord and Savior, the one we follow, as one who sees and knows and cares, who knows how to meet needs better than anyone else. But Father, give us the grace also to see that our chief need is our need for him. Father, give us a hunger for the bread of life. Give us a desire for Jesus. Give us the grace to not simply want something from Jesus, but to want him who truly satisfies, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.